And you know, even at 16 years, you know, I still have addictive personality disorder yep. in the sense that, you know, if I buy a pair of shoes, I want them in three yeah. different colours. Welcome to Series 2 of the One Year No Beer Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, then hit that button so you don't miss another episode. Welcome to another episode of the One Year No Beer Podcast. Today I have an incredible, incredible guest. Uh, DJ Fat Tony, um, celebrity DJ, you know, spent his younger years uh, DJing for, and still does, DJing for the superstars, made a name for himself. Um, today is a very, very powerful episode. Um, we talk about his trauma, sexual abuse at 10 years old, um, and really severe alcohol and drug addiction and how he slipped into that. And we hear the story of transformation and of change to the other side to now being in a position of supporting other people on a great level. Um, I'm, it's just such an amazing interview today and I'm really looking forward to diving into it with you because this is powerful stuff. So enjoy the episode. Excited today to be joined by DJ Fat Tony. Um, Fat Tony, you don't look very fat. Oh, please, that old title question. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm not fat. No, uh, I haven't been fat for a very long time. But um, it was, it was, it stemmed from being a child, being a fat child. Yeah. Okay. Circumstance. Yeah. Um, and it's and it stuck with you forever. I owned um, it. Did it didn't stick. I owned it. I, I, I kind of was like, okay. That's the name they're all calling me behind my back. I'll take it and run with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, the thing is, when as soon as you own something, it's yours. It's not theirs anymore. 100%. And it no longer is a a, a stone to throw a at weapon. you. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I, you know, I own it. I use it. So Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. I am. Yeah. You, you said my name? Yeah, no, it totally um, eliminates it. So uh, help me piece all this stuff together. You grew up on a council estate in Battersea. Yeah. And next minute you were flying Concord to New York. Yeah. So I can't, you know, it was a very different time it, 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 within, we didn't have social media. So you had to do something <laughs> to be known or to have a platform to, you had to create your own platform to be seen. Uh and to get a voice, and basically, you know, for me, I was in the right place at the right time always. Um, I worked in the King's Road, and at that point in time, it was like social media. It was like the modern day Facebook. It was it was a place where people went to be seen, had their photos taken. If you were in the King's Road on a Saturday afternoon, you were in the right place because everyone went there, they flocked there. Mm. It was the centre of London for fashion, for diversity, for creativity. And I worked there and I worked in a place called the Great Gear Market. So I kind of got to know people really quickly. And, you know, uh, and, and everything really stemmed from there. I started going out clubbing. I started at a very young age at 14. And kind of just met the right people and i never ever wanted to be a dj i never ever wanted to be anything apart from have fun mm -hmm. literally that was my main mission in life was to 
go out clubbing and and have fun and uh and everything else was a byproduct of that so when suddenly uh the djing opportunity came along i took it yeah because what it did do was it gave me a purpose and a reason to be in that club yeah. instead of just being in that club okay. you know what i mean i i was a part of that club and it kind of just gave me this new platform so very quickly that kind of just happened I started DJing within a month. I had a residency in New York. <laughs> I mean, okay. How did you... I mean, that's amazing. Because, you know, at that point in time, everyone from London was getting on with being in London. you got to remember, London was just four streets. Mm. You know, the centre of the, the West End of London, where people went clubbing, was four streets. In Soho, that was it. There was no, let's go clubbing in Shoreditch. There was no, let's go clubbing in Peckham mm -hmm. or any other part of, of, of London. It was the West End. That's where you went clubbing. Right. They were the licensed venues. Yeah. They were the only places you could go. Don't get me wrong, there were illegal parties going off all over the place. Yeah. You know, King's Cross for once, where we are totally. today yeah you know there was an amazing place here called battle bridge road where they had illegal raves constantly every night of the week it was insane yeah you know um but at that point in time it was the it was the west end and basically what was going on in london at that point everybody in new york wanted to be from london mm. so london was really big the on the whole london scene so anything you did if you were from london you were you were really cool and they wanted it so it was, you know, but one one night I was doing, I just started doing a club on a Tuesday night called Total Fashion Victim at the WAG Club. And Andy Warhol came. And it, with a guy called Billy, uh, 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 Billy Boy and a few other people, they all turned up and they were like, uh, uh, okay, Andy's outside, is it okay if he comes in? We were like, yeah, bring him in. And that kind of was the start of the whole Fat Tony in New York series because... What had happened was I'd done, I they, I was DJing with them. They they left. I I then met a few other people f from New York who were like, "Oh, we want you to come and play in New York." One of them being Steve Rebell from Palladium, uh, Studio Fifty Four fame, and you know he asked me to come over and do New York, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it," but I want to bring with me one of my friends who DJs with me. So we went over and did that and we did Total Fashion Victim there. We all flew over and did that. And uh, and that was kind of the, the start of it, really, because then I started going back and forth every other week to New York. Mm. Uh, and there were times when I was like, oh, I can't make it. And they were like, well, what if we fly you on Concord? And I was like, okay, I can do that. Because <laughs> it was about, it was, it was all about prestige and it was all about name yeah. and it was all about having the best of London in New York. Very cool, amazing. I mean, uh, really amazing. And so, um, but but before we go into that and or um, that part of the journey, what was growing up um, like on your council estate in Battersea? It was far from normal because for me, I I didn't belong on that estate. Uh, there was a, a big part of me that didn't belong on that estate. There was a, a major part of me that still did believe it and still does belong on that estate. <laughs> but you know. Um, I wasn't, they weren't my people. I was, I always, I never had a problem with my sexuality. I never got, I had a point where I thought, oh my God, who am I? I always knew I was gay. Yeah. I always knew who I was to a certain extent. I knew what I was, not who I was. There's a difference. And, you know, um, 
and I just didn't fit in with the rest of them. They were all skinheads and they were all like in gangs. And I, yeah, I loved being a part of the gang. I loved being the loudest one. And, you know, my brother was the hardest one on the estate. And so therefore no one ever said anything to me. So I would say everything to everyone else, but no one would say anything to me because they in fear of repercussion from my family. But um, so I never really fit in with anyone on that at that point. But, you know, as a kid... Being the gay one and not being in the closet, there was never a point where I was like, you know, uh, I, I didn't go around saying I'm gay. I didn't need to. I was just, you know, there was, I went for a really effeminate stage. I went mm. for a real stage where I was leaving the house in drag at 14, uh, 13 and 14. And, you know, playing with my sort of like, you know, my my gender as such. Um so for me, growing up on that state, sometimes it was hard. There were points where I, I, you know, I got bullied or they tried to bully me. You know, I, I learned really quick that if you get bullied, become the bully. Mm. It's, you know, it's not great ethics for life. Yep. But, you know, it served a point. It served a purpose at that time. You know, when I, I, I remember going to my secondary school and be, I had permed hair, curly, long permed hair, duds, wow. duds my waist at the back. And like... I remember going to school and then them all calling me Sally and like and me getting annoyed by it. And I remember just thinking, right, fuck you, you know, it ain't gonna happen. And then I remember this group of boys outside school calling me gay and I was like, Yeah, what are you gonna do about it? Mm. And um so what I did was the following week I got in with the hardest group of girls in the school. Right. They there were these three girls, Marcia, Sharon and this other one, and that everyone feared. I mean, they were feared. Oh. You saw them coming, everyone around. Wow. I, I befriended them. We yeah. became best friends. We, yeah. we bunked off school together. We hung out together. No one ever said anything to me after that point. <laughs> yes. No one. Well done. Smart moves, I guess. And also, well, you, 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 uh, you, you're self-proclaimed, you know, using this sort of blag, the, the, the chat. You've always had the chat. I've always had the chat. And that, and that wave was, was part of your weapon to be, well, to be using the chat. You know, it is. You know, I call it chat, but you know, I've always had this like um, behavior problem, and it, and it, and it, it, it still can be a problem. You know, it, yep. but it, I, I kind of have it under control now. Believe it or not, at fifty-seven. But you know, I I suffer with really bad ADHD, and yeah. I I, I also have very severe dyslex dyslexia. So my ability to sit still and to take anything in is really, really hard, and yep. I really have to focus on that. Mm. So at school, I was seen as disruptive. Yep. I was seen as the trouble kid. I was seen exactly. as the one that would never learn anything, not to waste your time on. So school and me never really got on. Mm. You know, I was always the one making all the laughing and making everyone laugh in, in the class and starting trouble. And, you know, uh, so, you know, the chat was there. That's who I was. Yeah. You know, because I lacked... Um, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't believe in myself because I didn't know I was dyslexic. I just thought I, I couldn't read or write properly. Yeah. You know, um, that affects a kid really badly. Oh, and for so. me, it just, what it did was it made me act out in other areas to overcompensate the fact that I was insecure mm. ar the way around the fact that I wasn't like all the other clever kids in the glass. Yeah. Uh, I could have said many of the words that have just come out of your mouth. Mm. Um, ADHD, nobody understood. And um, it's really 
really interesting in in the science they're showing us now that actually they believe that a large proportion of ADHD is actually sleep sleep deprivation mm. early on That's in a baby, right. and and so because we didn't get into a good early sleep routine, it caused this attention mad, deficit. Isn't it? It's mad that then totally transforms your entire but, life for but, the rest of the life. But also, you know, you this know, whole ADHD thing is like mm, suddenly become everyone the has new pulled pork. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it really is. It's like the new pulled pork and, it, and it's like everyone's got it. Everyone like, uses it as an excuse for this or an excuse for that. But, you know, and that kind of saddens me in a way because I yep. kind of think, oh, because when I talk about it, it makes me feel like a bit of a fake because, you know, I know what I suffer with. I know my behaviour. Mm. I know yep. that my attention span is so short. Yeah. I halfway through a work meeting and I start rummaging through drawers. Yeah. Or talking like, about something. Oh different. no! I start rummaging through drawers. And I, start, <laughs> I get up and I start doing things and then I'm yep. like, oh, what was I doing? Yeah. Uh, I go off on these tangents and some days it's really good. Yeah. Some days I can be really all right with myself and then there's the other days where it just goes. And the and for me, it's at, it's worst when I sit down. Mm. If I sit down to watch a movie, yeah. I'm asleep within a minute. <laughs> within a minute. Yeah. There's something I want to watch, I'm asleep within a minute. Yeah. There's something I'm not interested in, I'll watch the whole thing. As soon as I fo- try to focus on something, that's it, I'm out. Yeah, interesting. And, and it's, it's, you know, I've, had, I've, I've talked to my doctor about it for, for many a year. And, it, and you know, and it's a, it's a part of being ADHD, you know, it's that, sh- the, the, that shutting down moment. Because someone like, you know, they get like, why don't you meditate? I fucking meditate. What are you on about? Do you know what I mean? Why don't you do yoga? <laughs> Please. I don't have, you know, this is the reason I don't drive. <laughs> so people go, do you not drive? And I'm like, you're like, ooh. They're like, oh, you don't need to drive really. You live in London. It's fuck all to do with living in London. Yeah. It's the fact that I do not have the attack. I, you know, seriously, yeah. that I would have Lord killed, only knows so where you would prison. end up. Seriously. Why are you in Brighton? Do you know what I, I mean? Don't know. Literally. Yeah. Man. Unable to actually follow even the Google Maps. Yeah, no. Um, so. Wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> Switch off. Um, and so um, the ADHD, and of course, that is traumatic. That experience is traumatic, uh, added in the dyslexia, yeah. and that is traumatic. But you actually had some pretty significant trauma. Yeah, I mean, you know, I basically. My mum, my mum was really when I was really young. My mum, I was around about the age of nine, eight or nine. My mum got ill; she had different forms of cancer. And my dad, at that point in time, you know, my mum and dad were together for many years like from a young age. And my dad really doted on my mum. And my mum was got ill, and my dad started drinking at weekends, and you know, to cope with it. And mm. we. Uh, you know, it, it kind of ripped our, part, our family apart, in a sense. So, you know, um, for me, I've always been an attention seeker because I'm the middle child. My el- little elder brother three. was, yeah, three of us. My elder brother was always in trouble with the police, so he got all the attention. Mm. So then I came along. Then my younger brother came along, who was God's gift. Right. Uh, you know, he was my, the golden child as yep. such. So suddenly I was in, this, in the middle, the disruptive dyslexic ADHD gay son you know uh, you know for me I I, I, so that I kind of did the most ridiculous things just to seek attention and when you seek attention Mm. you get preyed on yeah 
you know, so people see it and they see it as a vulnerability. They see that stuff and they, they know that you're gay, a, a gay child. They pick up on that, especially predators in that sense. So I got preyed on. I got groomed. Uh, it went on for four years. It wasn't a, a sexual abuse of a, a one a one night stand sexual abuse in the sense of like it happened and that was it. This went on for four years. It was um, a lot of brainwashing. There was an awful lot of guilt and and I was made to feel like I was the one that instigated and did it all. Mm. And you know they, it's not, it's it's not an off the cuff action. It's not someone's just sort of took oh well, this is what I do. This is all predatory. Yeah. This is like really pre-meditated mm. you know the whole thing is a game plan from start to finish and you know and that that became my life so for me and that was age 10 i was 10 yeah i was 10 and 10 till i was 14 when i and you know i still can't to this day tell you how i how it ended mm. i don't know how it ended i think i end up i think i i, I there's bits of me that remembers saying to him that i was gonna go to the police mm. And I remember him saying to me, if you go to the police, you'll be the one that's in trouble because you did this. Yeah. And, um, and because he was paying me, there was money transaction because I worked for him. He showed films in youth clubs. Oof. Of course he did. Yeah, of course, yeah. That's a, you know, the typical totally. job of someone like that. And, yeah. Um, he paid me. So I was getting paid. So it was a transactional thing, which made, which I still have no respect for money now. Mm. And how much money I earn, I just, it's like, ah, I have to spend it or, you know, I don't want to go near it. I've got a lot better. Hopefully somebody else is looking after your money. Oh, yeah, then. they are good, now. Good, don't good, worry. Good. We had that conversation <laughs> yesterday. But, you know, it, um, yeah, it had, a, it's had an effect on me all my life. And although I thought that I was on top of it, because I learned really quickly that I could get what I wanted out of people. Mm -hmm. I learned how to manipulate people. I was sexualized at the age of 10. Mm. You know, at the age of nine, actually, nine and a half, I was sexualized at such a young age. And, and that took away what that did to us. That took away my youth. That took away my innocence. I suddenly become a person that I would never ever would have wanted to be or be, let, uh, me, let alone be, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was it was an awful it was an awful time, and you know um, it affected me in such a way that I was kind of spiraled out of control really quickly from the age of fourteen. Right. I I didn't want to drink. I never thought wanted to be like my dad because my dad used to drink heavily at weekends, and it would always end in a fight in my house, and my mum would always end up in hospital. Or oh God! My, yeah. You know, there would be a, my mum an overdose, because mum very, very dramatic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there would always be these scenarios, and I just thought, I'm never going to be like my parents. I'm never going to be like my dad. And, you know, of course I was going to be like my dad. I inherited it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm an addict. I Everything I do... Um, even today, even though I'm today's my 16 year clean time birthday t t today. Wow, congratulations! Yeah, wow, um, what an iconic you know, day! Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's cool. And you know, even at 16 years, you know, I still have addictive personality disorder yep. in the sense that you know, if I buy a pair of shoes, I want them in three yeah. different colors. You I, know, I heard you ordering a pair of shoes just yes, as go you away to the door. <laughs> I'm going away, on, I'm going to, away to Cambodia. Well, shoe literally. addiction is definitely a better, Oh, you know, I, you know, I buy clothes. I don't yeah. buy drugs or cars or yeah. anything else. I, yeah. I, I am, you know, I'm of a certain age where I have to look the part. Mm -hmm. And to look the part, I feel the part to, to do the job that I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
because there's there's 50 million half, kids half my age snapping at my heels. They'll never do the job that I do yeah. if they're not me. Yeah, I do that absolutely. Job. absolutely. You know, I'm not saying I'm the best DJ in the world, but what I have created for myself is who I am. Yeah, and I, I, I don't live in fear of, of of new talent. I promote new talent. Yeah, I'm, I don't live in fear of, of anything really anymore. Good for you. Which is remarkable. It's taken 16 years to get to that point. I imagine a lot of therapy, a lot of work. You know, it, 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 the therapy is one part of it, yeah, but it, it's the work. Mm. To change, there is no change without change, and you have to put that work in. You've got to work. You really do. And, you know, to hate, I, you know, I hate fellowship sloganism. I hate, like, you work it because you're worth it and, and all of that stuff. You know, I hate it because it's been drummed into me. But it's like, you know, eat your greens when you're a kid, you know, fuck off. <laughs> and then when you finally do eat your greens, you think, oh, my God, what have I been missing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like it's like that. But with, If you hadn't have forced me, I probably would have done it earlier. Totally, right? But, you know, uh, you do have to work at it. Yeah, Everything is, 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 is it's a, a working process. It is. Um, do the work. I'm a big proponent of doing the work. Um, and, um, you know, I think you touched onto this before. I'm jumping about a bit, but that's, that's the ADHD. Um, is, that, is that, you know actually this showing up in a way like that is a gift because it's an indication that there's there's work required for people and this is the thing like compulsive behavior and compulsive behavior before we go into the word of addiction yeah uh, compulsive behaviors it you know it's there's there's signs on everything all right you know there's signs if you have one can of coke and you have to have another two straight afterwards i suggest not having the first yeah right (laughs) yeah you know that's sugar Yep. We get, you know, you know. There's different ways of looking at it. You know, addiction. Completely. People think that addiction is like, oh my god, you're sitting on a park bench with no teeth. That. That's yeah, and it's not. You know, 100%. I, th- I, you know, if, for instance, if I, my grandmother, was given sleeping pills by the doctor because she couldn't sleep, and she took one a night for a month. She, she would not be addicted to them, but she'd be dependent on them. Mm. And in her mind, she would think, I need to take them, otherwise I won't sleep. Yeah. The probability is, if she didn't get them for a few days, she'd probably sleep better. It would get there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know that, right? Exactly. But with me, if I was prescribed sleeping pills for a month, I'd do the lot in two days. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah. Because that's the way I'm wired. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the way I think. That's the way I'm wired. You know, so... Th- so the signs are always there. You know, I've got lots of little nieces and nephews, and I can tell you now the ones that have got the problems. Yeah. I spend 20 minutes in their presence, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one with the magic. Yeah. Because it's not the one with the problems. They're the ones with the magic. Yeah. If it's channeled right, if ADHD's channeled right, if dyslexia is channeled right, and you see it for what it is, and you you make plans and you make changes to generate positivity instead of oh my god you're such a nuisance child no 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 yeah that you, you know it's your job to change that so if you see it and you catch it early on with like everything with compulsive disorders you know if they have to sleep with the light on yeah if they you know for me i can't go to bed at night if there's a, a fork in the sink or there's a plate out of place I can't. I get out of bed and I will go and sleep because it's that's how my mind operates. Mm. You know, because I wake up at three a.m. and that 
plate in the sink or fork in the sink will turn into a brown letter through the door which will turn up into me going to prison because that's how my mind works it's insane it just goes off on these insane like almost like fever dreams yeah (laughs) that's where they go you know like nothing makes sense Mm. but you know in my mind it all makes sense it becomes like the matrix you know so you know watch out for those signs because it does you know if you catch things earlier on they don't always lead to that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, exactly. I think it's, ca- it's catching them up early on, doing the work. And I think we, as humanity or society, we're still trying to understand about what the work really is, right? Mm. Trauma, like healing trauma, oh. to really heal trauma. Yeah. Well, we're still understanding that. There's lots of interesting things. Like, I mean, um, one of the great proponents in healing trauma, I believe at the moment or the future to come is psychedelic therapy. Uh-huh. Uh, we're seeing a huge rise in that. You know, um, there's things like technology. So I think we're just starting to understand actually what the, the work is to do. But I do believe, I do believe that we're going to solve this conundrum um, and help many, many, many people either come back from addiction or prevent addiction in yeah. the first place as we start to understand it. So I think, you know, there's such a fine line between when we use things for, for the better, that, that it's great. It's when we use them for the, for, for the worst, that's when it all becomes bad. You know, yeah. drug use and drug abuse are two different things. Yeah. It's how you use those drugs. You know, as you said, with psychedelic help and stuff like ketamine, for instance, for depression. Yeah, I know. Now on the coming to the NHS. Yeah. MDMA in the next two years totally. on the NHS. Of course, weed. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Why are we not living in a country where that grows so much of it <laughs> and, and it can solve so many problems when Magic it comes mushrooms. to cancer? Yeah. The, 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 the unreal the stories that you read and they're not they're not like put out there to you know, they're not like you know, like conspiracy theorist stories of like, oh, someone started taking THD and blah, blah, blah. Suddenly their cancer no, exactly. was good. It's fucking real. It's, not, it's real. All that comes. It's on, real. I meet people that were given six months and yeah. seven years later, still alive because that because they take two capsules of, of yeah. THT a day. Yeah. It's insane. Or it's people in- who are drinking every day heavily and having one psilocybin treatment and yeah. never touching it touching again. again. Come on. But the thing about it is, look at what's prevalent out there. Alcohol. Sorry. Zero research have ever said that putting that into your body is good for you. It's It's horrendous. It's not good for you. Why would it? How could it be good for you? That's exactly. It's not. It's It's 100% poison. It's not. And you know, the sad thing about it is as well, it's everywhere. It's it's everywhere in that sense. You know, I talk to, when I work with people, I do sponsorship with people depending on, on what level they are or what they want. Because I don't I don't believe that everybody... There are different ways to help people. Of course there are. Not yeah. everybody needs to go to a 12-step fellowship. Not everybody needs to, you know, to go down this route or that route. It's yeah. different strokes for different folks. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I always try to gauge where people are at with it, you know, what, they, what their beliefs are or how far you can push them. And I just think that, you know, it's... So many different levels of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I try to say to them, look, to, to people all the time, okay, let's see where you get on with this, all right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, because I'm not one of these people that say, okay, right, you're, you've got to go to a 12 step program. <laughs> you've got to give up everything. Yeah. Because yeah. everything isn't your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right? As an addict and as someone that's worked a 12 step program, I believe that alcohol is the biggest demon that ever walked the earth. I believe this is, uh, you can't go here, you can't go there. 
as I've got older and as I've worked my program and as I've lived a life of recovering, a, a, a sober life, because mm. it's not always in recovery. Yeah. It's okay, a sober good. life. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. There's I'm lots of people who think the other no, way no, around. No, yeah. I've heard people say 29 years in recovery. And, and how many meetings do they do a week? Five? Yeah. yeah. That's not life. Come on. That's not life. No. That's not life. <laughs> you know, that's not. You know, that well, I didn't get clean to go to sit in church halls eating broken biscuits. <laughs> I did not do that. Yeah. What I did do was I got clean so I have an incredible life yeah. that I pass that message on to other people. Yeah, good for you. I will not say to someone, you need to do this, you need to do that, mm-hmm. right? I will, I, will, I will point them in different directions and let's see how we get on with that. Yeah, you know. Amazing. There are so many, and as I say, some people need meetings and some people need beatings. It's as simple as that in life. And, you know, for me, I, what I've learned... Some people both? Both, 100%. <laughs> but when I say beatings, I don't mean a physical beating. I mean like a life beating, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, alcohol is everywhere. But it's, it's, you know, once you make that decision... Yeah. And it is, to, that's the point, the turning point. Yeah. Is that decision of... I can no longer do this. Yeah. I no longer want to do this. Yes. You know, I speak to people that I, I, I very fortunately worked with a lot of rehabs and set up rehabs in the past. And I speak to people and I say to them, you know, and they're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm worried about Christmas. And I'm like, okay, have you not made the decision that you no longer yeah. want to drink? Yeah. Because I see Christmas as a, as a wonderful thing because I'm not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Not because, oh my God, everyone's going to be drinking. Let everybody drink. You walk down the road, you're breathing the same air as everybody else has got drinking and breathing because they're all reading in the pub. You know, listen, listen, it's everywhere. Yeah. You you have to make that decision. Yeah. That that is no longer a choice for you. It's It's not an easy one to make, right? But as soon as you surrender to the fact that that no longer works for you, that's it. Yeah. I, I think that's very powerful and I think it's so right and I've heard you say that on the podcast I've been listening to and um, you know the work you're doing is amazing and sponsoring people and, and guiding people through it and just talking this it's really powerful stuff so thank you and well done and, and you know similarly what we really discovered was that often people are trying to get control like what you're talking yeah. about which is oh I don't want to drink at Christmas years and years before they admit they stop yeah, so if we can help them yeah. earlier yeah, when they're at that point then hopefully we can steer them away from these things and you know that's really that's my life you know, purpose someone like me every day was Christmas yeah. do you know what I mean literally it was like literally you know I couldn't yeah, get let's past let's talk about that I, well, I could to... never get past one day mm. you know uh, it wasn't until it got to the point where it got so bad and as, as and you know I my advice to people is do not leave it so it's got to that point where you have no teeth in your head and you're dying and your you're only thing you've got to look forward to is death, which is what it got to, to for me to make that change. Yeah. You know... You pulled out your own teeth. Yeah, I pulled all my teeth out. I had one tooth Do you remember that moment? Um, it, was, it wasn't... I wish it was a moment. It, it went on for over a year. Wow. It was... Uh, I, uh, I'd, I'd kind of reached a pinnacle point in my drug-taking... And then suddenly I met the one, another guy. Mm-hmm. They're always the one every week. Oh, this is the one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this one came from New York and with him came Crystal Meth. And I kind of just was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. And I was like, it was six o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning. And I was like, have you got any? And he was like, yeah, Pretty come sure. on. So I went to his house and was smoking that. And that was it. That was the turning point. That was fucking, it ravaged me. Just <laughs> New level. A new level. I, you know, I, I couldn't cope with it. Uh, 
I had a thing called meth mouth where my mouth was septic and I wanted the teeth out of my head because I thought I had mm. animals living in my mouth. And I so I started pulling on them and digging them out with screwdrivers and bits of stick. And Good I Lord. Going, going into shop and buying a, a, a pot of toothpicks mm. so I could stick them in. Yeah, like really, really. Insane. But I thought it was normal. Mm. I remember when I went to go to trying to get into rehab and I had to go for <laughs> I had to go for a psychiatric uh, assessment right at the very last moment is what I may add. It's gone for that many a year before. It, things might be slightly different. They might have picked up on a few things. <laughs> but you know... Um, but unfortunately, when you work with the NHS in this country, they they only get given a certain amount of funding. We can't blame the NHS. We can't blame anyone. We can blame the government. We could, but we could be here all day on that. Yep, be a exactly. different, totally different podcast. Yep. But, you know, uh, they didn't pick up on it. And when I remember when I went to the assessment and my the, the guy said to me, have you ever self-harmed? Mm. And I remember sitting there and I thought, what type of person do you think I am? Yeah. I said, why would I self-harm? And he was like, I'm just asking you, have you ever self-harmed? Have you done, ever like hurt yourself? No. Of course I haven't. And my partner sat next to me and my partner looked at me and he went, you pulled all your own teeth out. And I was like, yeah, but that wasn't self-harming. And that was like the kind of level of the mental state that I'd got to, yeah. I normalised it. Yeah, normalising it, exactly. I normalised everything. Yeah. I normalised being abused as a 10-year-old. Yeah. I normalised it. Yeah. You know, I... Well, you I, have to. You, you, you do. You have to, to process So, you know, so, so every kind of part of trauma that I went through in my life, I normalised to a level that I, I made it... I, I had to do something more extreme to, to feel comfortable within that. Yeah. But so, so how did you, how did you get there from, you know, being a DJ and I mean, yeah. everyone can do the math. It's pretty simple. Uh, DJing and in that environment and everything else. It wasn't alcohol to begin with. You mentioned oh, yeah. it was. So it was no, 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 it was. It was. So I never wanted to be an alcoholic. Mm. So what would happen was after work, everyone would go to the pub. There was a, pl a place called the Chelsea Potter in Kings Road and everyone would go there, hang out. It was the cool spot. So I would go there and drink pints of snake bite, which was cider and blackcurrant and lager, mm. and just think that, you know, I'd drink that. And I was always the last to leave, like every other mm. fucking alcoholic story you ever hear. Yeah. But I was, I, I, at that point in stage, I wasn't an alcoholic. I, I wasn't drinking alcoholically. I just liked the taste yeah. of, of alcohol. Actually, you know what seeing is saying? I like the taste. I don't think I even did like the taste. Mm -hmm. I just, I liked... The, the I liked the, the social side of it. Yeah, the buzz. That's what I Take liked. the edge off. Yeah. For me, as an ADHD, my brain is furious. Yeah. Right? It's like the noise is insane. I mean, I had the suicide attempts at yeah. 13 and 14, couldn't put up with the, the, the noise inside my head. It was so aggressive, is the word. And and alcohol, for me, switched that off. Yeah, it's, it know. definitely numbs a lot. You know, it's like in cocaine for me. Oh, yeah. It was the biggest number of them all. Yeah. But the alcohol started. I mean, alcohol. This is the thing as well is that most alcohol starts and then it's like then you want the bag. Well, alcohol's not enough. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's ever. Yeah, enough. yeah. You know, uh, so it was. Uh, so you know, it was always those two. It would always be alcohol for many years, and I didn't touch drugs into for a good three or four years after alcohol. Mm. And, and it was suggested to me by a friend, you need to start taking cocaine. Yeah, probably you, on a Concorde. Because you get no, no, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> this, I remember the very night he said it. Because he said, because you need to 
fucking something to 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 ease ease you out because yeah. I was getting so drunk all the time and violent. Mm. Yeah, and I, you know, and violent. And, and yeah, I was, there was a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. You know, you said about the noises in your head and that those voices. Yeah, I I projected those voices. Mm-hmm. They didn't stay in my head. What was going on in my head came out of my mouth. <sighs> yeah. Uh, literally, from wow. the minute you met me, I was in your grill. I said, ah, it was like Taz of Tasmania and um, a human weapon. But you know that. <laughs> but I turned it into an asset. Mm. I turned it into people feared me. People were like, it was like, fuck, man, he's mental. Yeah. And I loved the fact that people thought I was mental. Yeah. Well, it's it a covered up, mm. but also it covered up. So much more. Totally, it was yeah. the biggest smoke screen you could ever find. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And then coke, and then alcohol and drugs became that smoke screen. Completely. Because I never ever, like I say in my book, at the end of the book, there's one line at the end of the book, which sums up my life. It sums up everything. And I remember when we were writing it, and Mikey, who I was writing with, was like, I said, that's the end. He was like, what? I said, that's it, I'm done. And he was like, what, well, you want to end it on that line? And I said, yeah, I do. And every time I say the line, it makes all my hair stand on it and it makes me want to cry because that's what it's all about. And it, it's, it's just a really simple line of all I ever wanted to be was loved. Mm. And it makes me want to cry now because it is what it was all about. Yeah. I've always wanted people to like me yeah. and never ever wanted anyone to love me. Yeah. Because if you loved me, that meant you knew who I was. Yeah. And I was so ashamed of who I was. From the age of 10... I was ashamed. I was ashamed of being on that estate. I was ashamed that, you know, my, all my friends had, their fathers had high thingy jobs and weren't beating their mums up. I was ashamed about all that stuff. I was ashamed about where I, who I was, not because I came on the council estate, but because I was gay. I was made to feel ashamed. Uh, you know, and then to the sexual abuse and so on, so on, so on. So the shame that I carried with me all my life. Huge. I took into every relationship not sexual relationship but any relationship friendship you know mothership you know anything you know uh it was a night i was a nightmare because i didn't know how i didn't know anything else yeah and the bigger nightmare i was the more you weren't going to come near me the more you would not know who i was intimacy i was so far from intimacy i could not be intimate with anyone yeah, so sexual but not intimate. Oh, sex, exactly. sex and intimacy are two because different things. Because it's all of, exactly. Sex but, for me is so it's like... You also had humour. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. Humour. Humour was the biggest one. Yeah. Of course, like, oh, my God. So, I could make 2,000 people laugh. Yeah. And walk out of the room and think, okay, job well done. They don't know who I am. And that was... A, I, I let you think you knew me. Mm. No one knew me because I, I was so ashamed of who I really was. And um. I know it's not like that today. Yes. Yeah, so, so, how have you, how have you become? I've worked on myself closer. in so many different levels. You know, there was so, there. You know, when I sat down to start writing the book two and a half years ago, three years ago now, I thought I'd overcome everything. I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. And there were within a month of of, of writing, we started. Mikey was like. Let's start on abuse. And I was like, oh, can we leave that one? Mm. And the minute I said, oh, can we leave that one? I realised yeah. I'm not even touched the sides of yeah. that one. Yeah. I'd only ever spoken about it once. Mm. 
twice. The, once the, in the Ibiza, sexual abuse the sexual in detail. abuse and what yeah. happened to me. Yeah. I spoke about it once on a trip to Ibiza when I was 16, 17. And I then spoke about it once again when I was 38 to my mum on a come down. And I told her. Uh, and she, she, it devastated her. And, um, because it wasn't, as I say, oh, so-and-so interfered with me. It was, it was far worse than that. There were, there were groups of men involved. It was, it was awful. What they tried, what could have happened to me is unfathomable. It was, it was, it was fucking beyond anything, you know. Um, thank God for ADHD. Thank God for the fact that I was unruly. And I couldn't be groomed mm. to the extent that they wanted to groom me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was. Uh, yeah. All, yeah. I fought back. Yeah. You know. You had that. I fought back. I cleared that cunt. And I say the will say the word cunt on this. Yeah. That cunt's bank account out on purpose. You know, for the reason that he, what he did to me and what he was doing to me, I, I didn't spend the money. I gave the money away. I, I, you know, for me, I just could do anything I could to get to him. Mm. You know, because I knew money was what drove him. You know, anyway, it, it was, you know, that stuff stays with you for so long. For life. And, you know, and and I can see why people mm. give in and throw the towel in and, and, and can't cope. Yeah. I can yeah. see it. I see it. You know, I just learned other coping mechanisms. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I learned defenses of character exactly just you know people call them defects i called them defenses (laughs) yeah they were defenses yeah my defects became defenses on so many levels and but you know and they they served a purpose throughout my life they there would always be one level which i was more concerned in that served that purpose and and you know so when we started writing the book um i was like i can do this and um I was like, I said, okay, let's get on with the abuse. So it was day two of doing abuse. I, I got food poisoning. I was like really ill, shivering. I went to bed that night and I had the worst fever dreams about that guy that abused me. I could smell him. Mm. I could see him. Things came up that I completely had forgotten about. And I had, didn't have food poisoning at all. It was trauma. Yeah, exactly. It was PT. It was post-traumatic. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah, yeah. It, it affected me so badly. And I went. I rang my doctor, and I was like, Look, "I'm fucked." And he was like, "Okay, let's." I know someone that I want you to go and see, and she does trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. So I went to see this woman, and she probably changed my life on so many levels because I'd, I'd done therapy, so much therapy talk therapy yeah and never done trauma therapy in the yeah. sense where i was sitting down cross-legged on the floor drawing pictures mm. you know why would i be doing that yeah Joe. but the, what it does is it opens this part of the brain that we close when we talk about something i'll only tell you so much and then boom. yeah that's it and, and you know and with the, the drawing it opens up a whole new world and amazing i i overcome so many of my fears through it and so much of it, so much, yeah, through that therapy that I was in, I was able to write that book. Then that writing the book, you know, it's it's. I had to make that book as honest as possible. Not possible, I mean, it, I mean, as honest. possible, honest. That's it. Yeah. And Mikey, who was doing it with, who was, I was dictating to every day, would say to me, "Do you sure you want to put that in?" I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, I do." Yeah, because it will help someone. 
I'm not the, I'm not the only one that feels that way. I'm not the only one. So, you know, we'd write it, he'd go away. It took two and a half years for a reason because he'd go away, we'd go back, and then I'd say, have we done this? And he'd go, yeah, and give me the chapters to read. And I'd be like, no, 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 that's wrong. Let's change that. Yeah. I come out of that smelling of roses. Yeah. I didn't want to come out of every chapter smelling of roses. It wasn't, look at me, I'm the big I am. I wanted it to be so real. I don't care how I came out. Yeah. And that was kind of sad in itself as well because there's a part of me that wants people to respect me. Mm. I want people to say, oh, well done, pat you on the back, you know, and all that stuff. But at the same time, they needed to see the process of how and why. And that was the purpose of the book. And it was the most cathartic thing I've ever done. It's the most freeing thing I've ever done. Mm. You know. And um, I have absolutely no doubt that it'll, it will help many people um, and, um, you know, from from so many factors. So well done on on, um, on on getting the book out there. What's the book called? I Don't Take Requests. That's the one, I Don't Take Requests, which uh, I thought was a great story as well about, yeah. T- well, you know, the, the thing is, throughout life, I've been told, don't eat your greens. Don't, I mean, eat your greens, do this, do that. And it's like, you know... And I've, I've never, ever once done what I've been asked to do. So, to, and as a DJ, being asked to play something is like, it's the worst insult ever. Someone comes up, can you play? It's like, what do you think I'm doing? You know, don't, don't, if you're a designer, I wouldn't come into your shop and tell you, can you do that in green back in three quarter left? No, yeah. fuck off. Yeah, I like you the phrase, the, I'm not a fucking jukebox. I'm not a fucking jukebox. <laughs> and I've said it so many times, go fuck yourself. You know, but you know, for me, it's like, it, it, it summed up, who, you know, the way I am with people and the way I am with myself. And, you know, as I say, uh, trauma therapy, yeah, it's a way forward for me, it was. It, yeah. it, I thought I'd dealt with that wreckage, and I really have now. Yeah, amazing. Uh, big proponent for trauma therapy. I've done, uh, you know, psychothe- uh, psychotherapy through all my life. Um, from the age of six, yeah. I was into yeah. counselling because um, I was a nut. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the, and this is the big thing for people, is like, do you know the work of uh, Gabramatic? Yes, I do, yeah. So addiction is a response to trauma. Yeah. Um, and if there is a compulsive behaviour, then there is unmet trauma. And most yeah. people have no idea that almost all of us we have don't. trauma. Yeah, of course we do. Okay, we don't have the sexual abuse that you had. No, but it's not know, conscious. trauma can be a bit banging your head when you're a kid. Exactly. It can be shutting it's your fingers perception. in the door yeah. and having your, your, your pet taken away from you. That's it. it so These many, are the traumas. That is it. That we then code into our mind and we're, you know, it's unreal. As we're understanding that stuff, it's unreal. Yeah, it is. Um, it really is. And, and it's, it's, it's with us. Yeah. And although we think, oh, I don't even think about that, so it can't be that. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to think about it. Exactly. That's the reason why it's, it's got the power that it has. All subconscious. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was seeing a trauma therapist, her name was Tara, and I remember sitting down with Tara, and I remember her saying to me one day, um, when did you last think about having a drink? And I was like... Pfft. 14 and a half years ago. And she was like, okay, what about drugs? When did you last think about doing drugs? And I was like, about the same, 14 and a half years ago. And she went, okay, so why do you still go to meetings? And I was like, because I I need to go to meetings. She said, so why are you doing meetings four, how many times a week? And I said, four times a week. She said, four times a week for something that you haven't done for 15, nearly 15 years. Why? Why? And I was like, it's because it's a learnt behaviour. Mm-hmm. I felt that I needed to do it. But also, she went, I can see 
sitting here, six, maybe seven really big dramas and behaviours that need to change. But yet you're going and harping on about something you haven't done for, for 14 and a half years mm. to get the glory of not doing it for 14 and a half years, but ignoring those. And yeah. you talk to, and you are, I'm not ever talking about smoke screens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a big one on that one. I was like, calling people uh, out yeah, on it as well. It sounds yeah, like. always, you know, I'd light a bonfire <laughs> and I'm lighting five others around it to cover up. The, you know, using that, I have hypocrite tattooed on my hand for I a saw reason. That. Yeah. yeah. But you know, that. And arrogant on the other. Yeah, totally, because it's a hand I tell people to fuck off with. But you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it, but, you know it, it, and it dawned on me, and I just thought, you know what? I really have been wallowing in the misery of the past. Yeah. And I really need to bring it up to date. Yeah. I need to live in the moment. I don't need to be going to eat broken biscuits again in, in church halls for the rest of my life. What I need to be doing is getting on with my life. Mm. Working, I've been given tools to, for life and those tools I use. Yeah. I wasn't using anything. I was using meetings and people in those meetings yeah. Yeah. for resentments. I, that, I could go to a meeting and it would ruin my day. I could go to a meeting and it would make my day. Mm -hmm. But you know, I didn't know. I don't need to be listening to the same war stories for, for the rest of my life, because that's not a life. Yeah, and I made that decision, and you know, that that works for me right now. I'm in the most transparent place I've ever been in my life. Beautiful. I'm in the most transparent relationship. I'm loved, and I love. Fuck, man, what the hell is that about? You know, just to be in a place where I can actually say I love someone mm. because I love myself. Awesome. I have such self-respect today. Yeah, Don't get me wrong, I, I, I used to wake up in the morning at 13, 14 years sober and think, I hate myself, I hate the way I look, I feel fat, I feel this. You know, why, 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 why? Not how, 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 how. Yeah. You know, and today it's all about how can I change the way I feel, how can I do this? You know, instead of like, why am I like... I don't have those days anymore. Yeah. I don't wake up feeling less than. And that's a that is a miracle. It's amazing. It amazing. really is a miracle. So, but know. but okay, um, lots in there because I want to talk about how you did how you did that. How did yeah. you turn right? And also, you know, um, so to fill, you know, we, we've been around, but you know, you were you were DJing superstar around the world. Yeah, you know, best pals with all the top celebs and incredible lifestyle and. Um, and this, uh, you know, I'm not going to say too much. I think it's great that we're skirting around the edges because then people are going to have to read the book. Well, you know, I just think that who and what I did is, is not important. You know, as I did yeah. with the book, I changed. In the book, it's not a, a, a book about me and my superstar friends and where I went. I changed everyone's names because the people aren't important. The yeah. stories are important. Yes. And I, I could have very easily sold two Slip million books on, yes. on the back of those names and I didn't mm. do that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's not the, what I wanted to do. And I just think, you know, my life, I, I, I got everything given to me at such a young age and, you know, because I, I wanted it. I wanted to be the funniest person. I wanted to be the loudest person because I was scared of, of, of any other person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, with... The DJing and, and the flying around the world at 18 and, and, and being probably the most highest paid person in London on that scene at the age of 18. I was, I was getting <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds every week. 
I mean, like literally, like thirty grand a week. Yeah. Like sometimes. Like, wow. What the fuck? Yeah. And that's a long time ago. A you long know, time you ago. To, work, to give someone that kind of money and that kind of power and that kind of prestige within London, and to have the friends that I had, mm. who were the biggest pop stars in the world. Yeah. That you know, it was never going to end. It was never going to end. Well, mm. do you get what I mean? Yeah. I kind of, I didn't because I had no goals and no direction and, or anything. It was all about today. Yeah, and it, it's very much similar today. It's all about today, but it's today in a different way. Yeah, do you know what I mean? There, it's like, ah, oh, let's do this, let's do that, blah. and you know, I don't have a stop button. Mm. I do not have a stop button. I don't know how to stop. Yeah. I, I, I only stop when I crash. Yes, exactly. Ten, mil, 10 gazillion miles an hour and then kaboom. But I think, you know, um, I found the oil industry. Um, yeah. And um, the oil industry was great for me because um, you know, the ADHD-ness, I could, I could, I could, I did a lot of entertaining. I mean, I 250 people into a nightclub, you know, and yeah. take it over and all the craziness we used to do. Um, and, and so I found an... Uh, an industry where I could continue to numb and avoid and avoid all this stuff. We create. That's what we do. We create. Yeah. So we create these scenarios just so that we tick. We can get away with doing who we be. Who, who we, we are. are exactly. You know, I would. I. You know, when there was nowhere to go in London after three a.m. or six a.m., I would start after hours clubs. Yeah. You know, not for not for for people, but for myself. Yeah. So it was a ways and means for me to stay out later and to get more. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I have to be here. It's my job. Yeah. Oh my God, it was one after, excuse after another, and that was the way it always was. Yeah. You know, and and I just as I say, I do not know how to stop. So we t- we we talked for a, a bit earlier about the moment that it went off a cliff, which was the meth, yeah. and 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 that moment from that boyfriend. Um, but what about the moment that it decided to change? What was the pivotal change moment? We're actually across the road from where wow. uh, where I wanted to change, literally just in the, uh, the other side of that wall. A bit of serendipity today, then. Yeah, very <laughs> much so. Just the other side of that wall um, was that choice was made. 16 years ago today wow <laughs> which is rather weird that's why i want to go there in a minute yeah okay yeah i just told my assistant i want to go to tom dixon's shop but that was the nightclub that i basically was sitting in the room back room rocking backwards and forwards i had one tooth left at this point i remember pulling on it and i remember i would rock backwards and forwards i'm doing it now as i think about it uh just to feel normal I like it was a psychotic thing, you mm. know. Um, and I was doing that in the back room, and I'd already been out three days. And at this point, I was living in my boyfriend's house because I'd lost my house. And again, and um, I was living in his in his house. I was only going to stay a week, and I was being there for like three years. And um, I'd been missing for three days. I'd been cheating again. And I remember I broke into the house that morning and robbed his his best jeans. He bought some jeans and stole his clothes. And I remember leaving. Anyway, I was in the club, and it was a Friday night, and I was DJing later on that night in, in there, and I remember rocking Bubba's Falls, and I remember my friend Edna at that time, he came in and was like, Johnny's here. I'm going to call him Johnny for the sake, because that's what I call him in the book, yeah. and because um, I didn't want to put his real name in, I've hurt him enough. And he, and he came in, and, and I just thought, I remember thinking, oh, I can't deal with him. I can't deal with him tonight. Uh, and I remember him coming in and p- 
putting his hand on my shoulder and I remember looking up at him and I thought, please don't start. Because for months and months and months and months, years even, he'd been coming to the clubs and saying, you're going to find him dead on your toilet floor. Is this, you know, you've got to stop him working here. You've got, you're all a part of this. You know, he was trying to save my life. trying to save you. But yeah. what he was, was to me... And they just would have nothing. No, well, of course they didn't. They yeah. had to deal, deal with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'd be yeah. like, bar him, he's mental, you know. Um, and he was an obstacle to my using. Yeah. So I never wanted him around. Mm. It wasn't a saviour. He was an obstacle yeah. in my eyes. Yep. And um, that night he came and I thought, please don't start. Please, because I've got your jeans on. I know for where you're coming to get your jeans back. And I remember looking at him thinking, oh. and he went, he just literally put his hand on my shoulder and looked at me and went, what happened to you? It makes me want to cry yeah. every time because... That was it. That was that God-given moment that changed my life. Because there was no judgment in him. There was none of that uh, anger and resentment. It had gone. And it, there was uh, what came out of his mouth was genuine concern mm. and love. Yeah. And, I, I, and for years I would, I would see that, the love that coming out of his, as, as something I didn't want it to be. Because, you know, he would love me and show me love. Yeah. But I, because I, I was unlovable, I would use it as something else. Yeah, totally. Um, I'd turn it into an argument. And that night I just was like, I don't know. I, I couldn't answer the question. I started crying and I said, I've got to leave. And we left the club. And then on the Monday, I went to see my GP. Dr. Paul around the corner from my house in Farringdon. I lived down the road here. And he was like, I've been waiting for you to come to, to, to say those words. I said to him, I need help. I'm an addict. He said, I've been waiting for five years for you to tell you those words to me. I said, why didn't you ever ask me? He said, I did. You just wouldn't listen. All you wanted was extra tomatipan or rohip or whatever you could try and get out of me. And I was just like... And I, I remember he said, OK, I want you to go to this place. Gave me an address to a place in City Road, and off I went that day. And um, I got myself, I met an incredible woman who was a volunteer there called Penny Checker, and she helped change my life forever. She kind of become, uh, you know what it was? She cared. Yeah. She cared about me, not about what I did or what I could do for her or anything else or any of the bullshit that went with my job and who I was. She cared that I, about my, my using and cared about the fact that I, she wanted me to be well. And so I kind of just, she took me under her wing and we kind of got to like 10 days without alcohol and then all hell would break loose. And then we got to like two days without drugs and and it's the process went on it took it took five months and then i went to rehab wow. i was 30 days before i went into rehab sober from alcohol and drugs i did that on my own because i'd got to that point where the decision was made yeah you can't do you keep doing this mate yeah you you know what you know i suddenly that that one when 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 johnny had said to me that day that night what happened to you? That was the pilot light coming up. Mm. That was it. It, the ign the it ignited yeah. the smallest of flames. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I think if we look at that and take that, you know, because I, I wonder right now of your journey, how many people, not specifically in teacher or anything, but across, just in London, mm. how many people are going through that journey or, or you know, parts of that journey at the moment in or, any areas of it? I can, or I can tell you today I've already had about 450 
DMs from people that are going through that journey at the moment because I, I'm very vocal about my clean time and I post up pictures of what I used to look like on my Instagram for a reason because it's it's a message to... It's not about wanting people to say congratulations. It's, it's about the fact that it's doable. Yeah. They see me and they, see, they follow me on Instagram. They come in on a different chapter. Yeah. And they don't know the past chapters. And I kind of think, you know, I want people to know that stuff that, and to see you how I am today and from where I was. Yeah. yeah. It's not about, oh, well, I blow smoke up Tony's ass. It's about the fact that it's doable. Yeah. It, 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 as soon as you make that decision, you can make that change. Yeah. You know, it's not always easy and we know that and I'm not saying, you know, oh, as soon as you've decided you're going to stop drinking, you're going to stop. No, exactly. Exactly. That's not the case. You know, we know that. But the decision but comes... But it's got to have the, the decision first. You've got... The minute yeah. you open your mouth, yeah. Say those words, I yeah. need help, is yeah. the minute it can change. Yeah. Those are the, str- the hardest words you will ever say in your life is, I need help. Yeah. I have a problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you spreading that word and encouraging people to do that is, is, is the key and is powerful. But the interesting thing is, as well, I think, I think lots of people hear a story like this, right? Not many people are going to yeah. hear your story like you, though, but you know what I mean? They hear a story like this and they go, oh, well, that's an addict and disassociate. I'm not no, like no, that. No, 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 no. But what we see all the time, what we see all the time and hear from is the people who end up with a much more severe relationship with an addictive substance, whether it's alcohol or something else, they all say exactly the same thing is, I have no idea how I got there. Oh, of course. You know, they kept, <laughs> they're going home from work and drinking a bottle of white wine in front of the TV. Which is fine night. at the moment. Yeah, exactly. That's socially okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's the same thing. It, it, it's not socially okay because you're, it's you watching TV. <laughs> Who are you being sociable with? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, look at society. It, no, but society it? says exactly. it's okay That's to drink I mean. a bottle of wine Sorry. because you know why? Society's getting paid to say that. Yeah, they're getting the money. It's all you know. The government love it. They're getting the tax on it. Everyone else, you know, you what you got to remember is you're a stat and you will become a stat, <laughs> right? Yep. And those stats are what the, what make this make countries and governments richer, right? Yeah, further down the line, for every bottle of wine you're buying, that, that's kind of being watched. You're like, okay, a year from now, that's, that's another stat that we can put on some kind of form of medication and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And so, and we can be seen to be helping. Yeah, exactly. No one helps you I did unless this, you help yourself. You might like these stats. I did this just the other day and it's rough, just fag packet stuff. But roughly I estimate OAMB eliminated 64,324,186 pounds of revenue from the alcohol industry in the last eight years, mm. um, approximately 8 million a year. Uh, 77.5 million we put back into the UK economy. We saved the NHS 253 million. Yeah. We cancelled 250 billion hangovers. Yeah, um, we made thousands of companies more productive. We gave roughly two hundred thirty-nine thousand kids, wait for it, two hundred fifty-three million more present days with their parents. Mad, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder how many deaths we prevented, how many suicides, how many crimes. So, you know, those are better stats. They're amazing and, and, stats. You know, can you imagine adding cannabis to that? Yeah, like the stats on that, you know, like just on the on the good the pros of it. I mean, not the cons. Yeah, you know, start you know legalizing those drugs that that, that help people's minds and help, you know, mental health. Right, let's talk about mental health briefly. Yes, here, no. right, because you know, mental illness. Right, let's change the I to we. Yeah, and it becomes wellness. Right, mental like wellness. Get rid of the ill I from the illness and 
change it to a we. Yep. The minute you start to help someone who you think has got mental health issues, mental illness in any way, shape or form, if you're sitting with someone and they switch the light on and off four times in the living room, yep. ask them ask why. Ask them questions. Don't yep. laugh at them. Don't think, oh my God, it's just some little thing that they do. Sit down with them. Don't judge them. Ask them. Yeah. What's going on there? Exactly. Right? That's what it takes. That That's a... That's a preventative in such a strong way, just by caring. Mm. The minute we start to care about anyone else around us, you know, if you know your friend's drinking a bottle of wine a night on her own and then sending text messages yeah. at 11 o'clock to people, to ex-boyfriends, yeah. intervene. Yeah. Intervene. Don't judge her. Don't be like, oh, my God, you're a mess. Yeah. No one wants to hear those words. Exactly. No one. Don't deflect your shit onto them, right? Because yeah. nine times out of ten, the ones that we call a mess are... If I'm saying calling you a mess, I'm probably a bigger mess, Yeah, right? We know the old saying of one finger pointing at you, four pointing back. It's a fact. Yeah. We're, uh, we deflect our shit onto other people. Completely. So what I'm saying to you is, to go on, I just say to them, do you really need to be drinking that? Let's have a night off. Why don't you come around mine tonight? I'll cook and we watch telly together. That's one night out of a week that she's not drinking. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. That oh, I say she, she, he, he, whoever. But what it is, is it, it, it's about resting. It's about respite. It's about distance. Yeah. And, you know, that's a preventative. You know, as we say, not everybody's an addict, not everybody's an alcoholic, you know, but we it's about our behaviours. It's a sliding you know, scale. I, I know for a fact that if anything ever took me down, it would not be alcohol or drugs, it would be my behaviours. Mm, yeah. My be I don't need alcohol or drugs to fuck up my life. <laughs> so I do see. a really fucking good job of it on my own. Yeah. Right? I don't need any of those things. You know, they'd just get in the way. Yeah. They'd, they'd get in the way of it. They'd just like be like, oh... Oh, I went. To, I ended up in, in a police cell last night. Let me get back to really what I was doing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That mm. you know, there there are more obstacles. You know, so I don't. So it's about the behaviours, about watching my behaviours. Yeah. Through other people, and when I when I mentor people or stuff like that, I watch that stuff go on. Yeah. It's almost in slow motion sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'm like because you can see it so oh, clearly. Oh, I see. It, I smell it. I yeah. know. A minute they yeah. the minute they walk in my room. I'm in my house. I'm like. What's going on? Yeah. And they're like, nothing. And I'm yeah. like, oh, really? Okay. Do you know what I mean? I already know before they know. Do you know what I mean? That that question that was asked to you, um, what happened to you, yeah. is the question that Gabor Mate suggests yeah. we ask all all addicts. Addicts, our addiction is is um, us, not what's wrong with you, but um, what happened to you. And it's, um, and it's true. You yeah. know, it, that... Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's it, it changed my life. This is it's not black and white. It's a sliding scale. You, we are all sorry. Yeah. We're all on. It's a sliding yeah. scale. It's the same stuff. It and, really is, and especially around mental health. And you know what you said about um, speaking to people. You know, I'm a big proponent of that. Is you know, male suicide just through the Listen, roof. Listen, if you've got a friend, right, epidemic that's on the dra drama triangle. Yeah, that's like, oh my god, that person's life's so traumatic. There's so much drama going. It's not drama. Help. That drama's happening for a reason. Exactly. Right? Find out what's going on. Yeah. Don't be like, oh my God, I can't pick up the phone to them. They're too much trouble. Yeah. Pick up the fucking phone. You could be the person that makes the change. Do you know what I'm saying to you? But could any have got through to you earlier? Because uh, you were a hard nut to crack, obviously. I, you know, I, I, I can answer that question quite honestly. No. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah. I surrounded myself with soldiers. Yeah. 
I said, I, I had a moat, I had a castle, I had a top. My friend George, as in Boy George, used to say to me, no one can get to you. No. You have to go through 30 people to get to you, Tony. Yeah. And I'd be like, what are you on about? He said, I'm your best friend and I can't even call you. I have to go through so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so to get a message to you. Because I was so well protected. Yeah, well, not just by people. You were no. protected by your 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 defence mechanisms that's what I'm saying to you. and your behaviour. We, yeah. we create yeah. these scenarios so that we, are, we no one can intervene. It. Yeah, and and you know if someone had come to me earlier on and said, "Look, you're turning into your dad," I would have been like, "Fuck off!" But you know what? It may have set planted seeds. Yeah, yeah. You know, it may have been like, but no one knew who my dad was. No one yeah. knew because I never told anyone. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of is just like, I really do believe when we live in different times, I feel that everybody has the answer in their hands. You've got social media, you have your phone constantly with you. Just watch for the signs in people's, on what they post. Yeah. Or what they're saying. Yeah. The cries for help. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're always in, there. Underneath the lines. Totally. Of with people. You know disappearing someone. Disappearing you know, off. You know, you know. Yeah. That person. Yeah. It is don't hard you? though. It's hard if they're like you. I don't think it, you to get through to, to people. It is. Because you can't. To crack the I, nut. Or, I always laugh when people say, oh, we're doing an intervention. And I was like. Yeah. And it makes me laugh because it, what's the point? Yeah. One of the things I say, and this is a bit sneaky, but I mean, obviously we spend a small fortune on Facebook marketing and, yeah. and, and retargeting people. As I was like, look, if you want somebody to change their relationship with alcohol and they're not, they're not willing yet, then just go to One Year No Beer on their phone and we'll retarget them with ads and, and yeah. in, inspirational stories. For six months, we'll yeah. show up in their newsfeed. Um, so slightly sneaky. but Yeah, but it's good. It'll work. Because what it does is, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a really simple thing. It's like morning affirmation. Yeah. Right? It's about starting the day with the right headspace. Yeah. If you wake up in the morning and think, I'm a, I'm a worthless piece of shit, that... that could stay stay with you for days, weeks, months. Yeah. Right. But you wake up thinking today's a good day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I feel great. I am a good person. That that just changes the whole aspect of how your outlook on life. What you you're like me. I pick up the phone first thing in the morning. I'm straight on my phone. Yeah. If I see if I see doom and gloom, that can throw my mind yeah. into a different space. Yeah. So I tend not to go to that stuff. Yeah, I go to Very funny sensible. stuff. Yeah, I go to stuff that I know is going to make me laugh. Yeah, that's where I go. Funny to. cats and dogs on YouTube. I love funny cats. And dogs. <laughs> you know, I don't need to go to them. I get sent them. I get sent. So Your much dog Instagram stuff. is amazing, by the it's way. That stolen. is that's <laughs> that is a source of absolute. Like, seriously, if you do want to wake up with some humor, um, you need to follow. What is it, DJ, DJ Fat, Fat Tony? Tony? DJ Fat Tony on Instagram, um, because it will. I mean, it will bring your newsfeed full of full of banter. You know, that's why I do it. I kind of wake up yeah. in the morning. I fought for the day every day, and it kind of most days it's it's uh, a serious thought. You know. Some days it's just a picture or, you know, it's, I use Instagram as a third arm. I really do. I use it as like a, uh, it's like outreach. I I do a lot of drug jokes. I do a lot of alcohol jokes. I do a lot of just real life jokes because I laugh at that stuff because I can. Because I've lived it. And that it no longer has that power over me. Yeah. And people go, oh my God, sometimes you're really dark. And I'm like, yeah. I've been there. Some days I am. That's the yeah. Do you know what I mean? Somebody's going to see that. And that's Instagram. You know, it's it's, and then get like the the people that think they work in the Louvre. That that's not yours to post. Oh fuck off. (laughs) 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're on Instagram. What, what do you think Instagram's about? Sue me. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. my God, seriously, yeah. grow yeah. up. So um, you're a man on a mission now. You are... Are you still DJing? You're oh, still... Oh my God, go fuck yourself. Exactly. Of course I am. I'm DJing everywhere. Um, more so than I've ever done in my life. Amazing. My career's um, gone through the roof and um, I'm very blessed. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed that I... I things that come my way are just like... It, you know, I, I truly believe that, it's, that where I am in life is because of the things I don't do, yeah. not because of the things I do. Because the things I don't do outweigh the things that I do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, uh, we get that what we put out. Yeah. And I truly believe that if you put out good stuff, good stuff comes to you. And, Completely. And, and I won't, I 100%. could argue with you all day long about that one. Yeah. Because people would be like, no, that's not always the case. It is the case. Yeah. It's, it's not well you know not, having put out bad for a long of time of course and it's not momentary it doesn't happen yeah. overnight no exactly you know it, it's um you know yeah work's insane have so much going on um i literally i used to laugh at people when they used to go oh, i've got the weekend off and i'd be like what well yeah so what so Do you uh, know i mean now I, I i don't get the weekend I, I get a day off a week and i'm blessed for that day and i think oh my god i've got i've got anything to, to do today it's yeah. amazing are you ever in Mallorca? I go to Ibiza probably more times than Amazing. most people have hot dinners. Um, <laughs> I where do you got play in Mallorca? I stopped from going last year right. because I'd got travelled too much. Uh, where, where do you play in Ibiza? I do Pasha this yeah. year coming. I'm doing cool. Glitterbox at High. Uh, I'll be doing quite a few things this year. Amazing. Um, last year I had a residency at High on Friday nights, which isn't bad going for someone who's 56. Uh, you know... Life's good. Uh, this year, a lot of IB for a lot of so much. We've got film coming out. We've got so many things happening. Paperback comes out on May 22nd. Yeah, so the, 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 the book is out on paperback. Um, and um, I don't do requests. I don't take requests. I don't take requests. Thank you. And um, also, the tell me about this TV show. So they're making a docu-film for uh, a, a lar very, very large streamer. Um, <laughs> uh, probably the largest streamer like we did that uh, you know um, and that's going to come out in June great yeah which is pretty incredible it's going to have the best soundtrack to it as well oh yeah awesome yeah I'm and and um, what, 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 is, what does playing forward look like for you what's the impact you want to have what you do you know do? what I kind of you know for me when I play now it's a different experience you know I you know, when I travel the world, I used to be able to do it quite easily. Now I get stopped 30 times at the airport. And I, you know, and it's it's a real pleasure because people tell you they've read your book. And it's not like they've, they're coming up to you to say, hey, I've just read your children's book you wrote, like about the Gruffalo. <laughs> you know, they're coming up to Which tell you later. that they've read your trauma. Yeah. They've read my deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah. And accept them. Yeah. That's a fucking remarkable feeling. Yeah. And it helps you. Know, you it really too, does. Right? And that when something helps me, it make it enables me to help other people. Yeah. It's fuel. It really fuel. does. You know, if I was having a bad day, I make sure everyone had a bad day. Yeah. Today I have a good day, so I make sure everybody has a good day around me. That's the way it's gotta be. Yeah. And uh moving forward I just you know, I wanna get a I'm lo there's loads of things. I, I, I really, this year, I've got more goals this year than I ever had. I was talking to my mother-in-law this morning about it. I'm going to open a doggy 
um, Doggy Play Centre in the centre of London. Great. I'm going to open. Uh, yeah, there's loads of things going on, man. And she was like, wow, listen to you having goals. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, yeah, I have to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you've got to you've got to channel all that energy. Yeah. And 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 drive. And th- this just goes to show when you turn it from negative energy, which it was for me too, is just 100%. absolute self destruct, kaboom, mm. to a positive force. Like I discovered one year no beer, and and now I I couldn't do anything different now knowing and getting the messages I get and hearing from people about how I changed their life mm. or a handwritten letter from a son saying I got my dad. Nothing back. like it. I, there is nothing else I could do on this planet. No, there really isn't. Yeah. And, you know, that that feeling of, like, people say to me all the time, do you not miss it? And I'm like, oh, are you insane? Yeah. You know, what would I miss? Uh, you know, I, I, my life is so incredible. And I mean incredible, right? I, if you told me 16 years ago today, you know, listen, yesterday, right, I went to meet the accountant, right, Um and in my book, I talk about not paying tax until I was 50. And, it, and you know, and I, I had to pay it all back and everything like that. And I went to meet my accountant yesterday and he was like, when you sit down in front of your accountant and they they congratulate you <laughs> on what good year you've had, you know you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. And they told me how much tax I have to pay this mm. year. And I, I was dumbfounded. This yeah. house in central London... <sighs> And he was like, but you've earned that money. I'm like, I, I'm aware of that, but don't tell me that. You know, it, but you know, and I was like, no, 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 I can't do this. I can't pay for this. I can't pay it. And I sat there and within three minutes that I can't went out the window because I don't believe in I can't anymore. Yep. I believe that I can do anything I want to in life if I do it in a, in a productive manner. Yeah. Right? I can do it, right? Uh, when I hear people, I can't go out there because people are drinking. Yes, you can. Yeah. You just made the decision. You, you're, what they do is not your business. Yeah. It's what you do is what matters, right? And I, I literally was like, I can pay that. And I'm very blessed that I'm in a position to pay it. Yeah. You know, 16 years ago, I couldn't afford a packet of cigarettes yesterday, right? And today I can afford to pay my tax bill. Yeah. That is recovery. Yeah. That yeah. is the most incredible thing. Regardless of how much it is, it's an incredible feeling yeah. to have come that far to actually say, you know what, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Wow. Sure. Yeah, well done. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Well done for you. That's, you know, yeah. mind-blowing. The fact that, you know, and I'm all right with it. I have to be all right with it. Yeah. It's not, nothing's going to... We all me, have to pay our taxes. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so just get on with it. I'm not going to go out and have a drink on it. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean... Tony, you've, you're, you're, what you're doing is amazing, and um, you know I commend you. It, it can't be easy, even today in that industry, um, still around clubbing and everything else. We do have some other DJs. We've had a D, uh, Gareth Emery. He, yeah, he did one year no beer, um, and um, so that industry is rife. That so industry it, is really rife because it's part of the job. Yeah, but you know what? Alcohol's not part of my life anymore. Yeah. So my job is music, and yes, I replaced alcohol and drugs with the, the best the drug in the world yeah. music yeah that's, that's it cool. it's as simple as that you must help many other djs of course yeah 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 i could go on forever no exactly you know it, you know they, I'm, a, I'm i've always been a first port of call for people that they've got problems they'll come to me and they're like say look yeah and 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 uh, that's my forte yeah 
that's my given you know by helping someone else it helps me to see where i'm going wrong yeah because i don't have all the answers but i do get the other answers from people that think they don't have them yeah yeah it's simple as that Tony, um, thank you so much for thank coming you. on the podcast. I mean, um, a very special day, 16 years for you. <laughs> You're mad, right? Right across the, the, yeah. the place where it changed for you. Um, yeah. It's been an honor to have you on. And, and um, you know, I like you. I could carry on chatting about this for, for, for hours. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank the show. you. Yeah. Big love, guys. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the One Year No Beer podcast, where our mission is to share and tell the stories of the everyday heroes who are taking the steps to make a meaningful impact by changing their relationship with alcohol. If you want to join our community and find out more about the variety of benefits that you can enjoy by becoming part of our 80,000 plus members within our alcohol-free movement, then click the link in the show notes below.